The following audio is a presentation from our Equip study series. In this series, Pastor Josh is walking us through the Lord's Prayer. Would you join us as we learn together in that deep dive of the Lord's Prayer so that we might pray more like Jesus has commanded us to pray? We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples. And we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information, please visit ashlandcc.net. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together tonight. Once again, look at your word here in Matthew 6 and the prayer of your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would teach us. Lord, may we leave from here with a fresh view of the gospel. Lord, with a refreshed resolve in our prayer life to remember what you've done for us in canceling our debts. And Lord, I pray that Not only that, but Lord, that we would have a spirit of forgiveness about us as followers of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so tonight we continue in chapter 6, verse 12. The next petition, the fourth petition here. And as in like we've been doing through this study, we're just going to be doing verse 12, however, at least part of the prayer. However, um, you may have noticed this at the end of the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15, Jesus comes back and gives some commentary on on our verse tonight, on verse 12. Before we jump in, um, we're going to talk a lot tonight about debt and sin and debt forgiveness. That's a buzz phrase right now, if you know what I mean. Uh, so uh, before we keep going, uh, can you can people, if you have a time where you have been indebted to someone, or maybe someone's been indebted to you, and you were able to be forgiven of that debt, can you share a time? And it could be anything, big or small. Um, and then also, did that cause anything, not just feelings, but did it cause any action on your part? It could be silly. I have one. Yeah. So when I was a college student, I was like the only person at Stanford University, I think, that was actually having to pay for my own college. Mm. And I went to the tuition office to figure out how bad it was, how much I owed. And the lady there was like, oh, you know, she was looking at my file and everything. And she said, but you, you made the, the dean's list or something like that. She awarded me like a scholarship that paid off my whole tuition for the semester. Oh wow. Like on the spot. Wow. And I was just like, wow. Like this was, you know, the greatest thing that had ever happened. Did you keep getting it? Um yeah, I got I did. It got like it got renewed and actually I started working at UPS and they reimbursed me. Oh true. Wow, that's crazy. That was a good day. Yeah, and I was very thankful. I didn't know what, how to, you know, thank her for it. But. Just make good grades? Make you want to make good grades? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. 
Anyone else think of a time? Unless you've never been indebted to anyone ever and never been forgiven of a debt. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Jesus forgiving our debt of sin, so you can't say that one, okay? I know there's more out there. Okay. Yeah. I hope this is a great, I hope this is a just a good story as getting stuck by a bull. Oh, yeah, okay. That's cool. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's great to be debt free. Yeah. That really made you yeah, every month resolve to pay it off every month. That's good. What else? Anyone else? Of a time where you've been forgiven a debt, even if it's little. So far they've been pretty big, so let me ask you this. How many of you are currently indebted? <laughs> Let's get transparent. <laughs> yeah, you got a mortgage? <laughs> We're indebted, right? This is not a, le- this, you know, Dave Ramsey's not going to come out right now. Just to, I'm just letting you know. Yeah, welcome to Financial Peace University. Everyone freeze your, you know, that's not what this is. But I, I do want to, I, I ask that because, <clears throat> and maybe you didn't, sh- I know, most of you didn't share, but that's okay, because I know that all of us have felt that sense of being indebted to someone or something, right? Um, and it could be a weighty thing. And I, I, the reason why I bring that up is, well, first of all, it's because Jesus uses this term in verse 12. So let's just read it together, verse 12 of chapter 6 of Matthew. <clears throat> and forgive us. So this is that next petition. So let me, let me back up. Verse 11. We talked about giving us this day our daily bread, and we really expanded that to see that Jesus is trying to get us to depend upon him for everything. He, he's showing a full, total devotion and dependence upon God, even though he's singling out bread. And we looked at bread in the Old Testament. We looked at the connotations of bread, what the hearers would have heard when they heard bread. And it's just their daily provision, their daily dependence upon God. And so, yes, we ask God to provide. We we give thanks for the food he's given us. We ask him to provide our food. But it's interesting because we talked about that disconnect we have because we most of us in here, if not all of us, don't know what it's like to not know where our next meal is coming. And so for you to pray today or tomorrow morning, Lord, this today, would you give me my food today? Would you provide my food today? Well, I, I hardly ever pray that way, right? Because I know what's in my fridge. I know 
I know my meals are covered for this week, you know? And so there's kind of a disconnect when, when we see this prayed. But when we looked at it, it's really, yes, for food, but it's really a total daily dependence, fully dependent upon God for everything. And so when you're praying, verse 11, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying that God, that we would be dependent upon God for everything, everything. And then right on the heels of verse 11, he, he continues. So give us this day our daily bread and the next petition, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, and it's interesting that he uses this word debt. We're going to jump into that in just a second. But what do we think of when we often, or when we think of the word debt? I, I know what I think of. I have a packet that I received when I closed on my house. Many of you probably have that packet. It's, I don't know what it's actually called. It's your payoff statement. So it's every month, your payment. And it's very thick because it's several months. And then at the end, at this long book is your payoff date. And it's just a constant reminder. And I tell myself, Josh, don't look at that. Okay, that's 15 years away. Okay, Josh, don't look at that. But I can't help it. I look at it and I just see how far I am away and how indebted I am. And also <clears throat> the interest that I'm paying as well. Many of you experience that. And so when we think of debt, we, that, the, I know for me, my mortgage comes to mind. Or maybe for you, it's credit card debt. But I think we often are thinking in financial terms, all right, when we think about debt. Because when we talk about it in life and culture, we, you know, on a daily basis, when we talk about debt, we're usually speaking about money. Like Casey, your example, Jim, your example, we're both money examples, not necessarily a you're indebted morally to someone, right? And that's right, because I th when we think about debt, that's usually the terms we're talking about. It. And it's a really helpful way to think about debt. But we have to get a little bit underneath that. Because first, when we come to this petition, we need to start with who we're indebted to, why we're indebted. If you think about Let's think about just people, okay? Famous people, all right? If I take this sheet of paper, my outline, and I sign my name to it, how much money is it worth? Nothing. In fact, it might be negative money, okay? Because I'm a nobody. However, if someone comes off, if someone famous and powerful, if the President of the United States comes in this building and signs my outline, I can, it's suddenly worth something. Why? Huh? What'd you say? Was that a crack? <laughs> I didn't hear it. <laughs> Not right now. For some people, right? Fine. Think of your most favorite actor, celebrity, sports, whatever, coach, player. If they come in here and they sign this paper, I can get some money off of it. Right? Why? Because the worth of this item is attached to the person. Right? In, in a similar way, when we think about the holiness of God, how, how perfect He is, how whole and complete and, and, well, complete and perfect He is, and how good and righteous He is, we can think about it in that term as well. Let's think, you know, if I go up and I, I punch Billy in the face right now, 
He could press charges. I might spend a night in jail. Maybe, you know, have to pay a fine. But if, if I go and I, let's use the president again. Hope no one's listening. AI, get out of here. I go up and I punch the president or try to, well, I'll get stopped. I'll get shot before that happens. But if I did, sorry, Billy, but the consequences for me punching the president over you are going to be way worse, right? Why? Because the action in that case is tied to the worth of the person. And so when we talk about debt in relation to God, we're, we're talking about a, a God who is perfectly holy and good and righteous. And when we have sinned against God, we're in a debt to him. We're, we're indebted to him. And it's a debt, church, and we know this, it's a debt that we cannot pay. We can't pay. Why? Because God is infinite, perfectly good, and holy. So even, even the smallest offense against God, we deserve, because He's an eternal, holy God, we deserve an eternal, holy punishment, right? For our sin. That is our debt. When we have sinned against God, that first sin you sin. You know, we, we have a sin nature when we're born, but when you sin, you are indebted to God. And that's every single person that has been born. And that will be born, except for one. And we know that that's the person who's praying, Jesus. So let's continue to look. How, how is debt being used here in this prayer? And you're probably wondering why we haven't looked at Luke. I don't really have a good answer for that. I think it's just because I like Matthew better. Luke, in Luke, we have the Lord's Prayer as well. It's in Luke <coughs> chapter 11. You can turn there if you like. You don't have to. Um, it's the same. <coughs> so you have the Lord's Prayer in both of these, and they don't contradict one another. They complement one another, and they support one another. Um, but you have in, in Luke's prayer, if, if you are reading along with me in chapter 11, I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer. It's a little shorter. He says in verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, okay? And lead us not into temptation. That's the end. But you notice, and it, but when we look in Matthew, Matthew's gospel, he says, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debts. And so Matthew and Luke are actually using two different words here, but they're not contradictory. I want to emphasize that, okay? In Luke's gospel, he's using the word, it's a general word for sin, hamartia, and it's just a, it's when, it's for really non-Jewish hearers, and that makes sense with Luke. Many of his audience are non-Jewish, and so it, it makes sense to them to hear the word sin, and that's the right word to use. Sin is an offense against God, but when Matthew writes his, he uses a word, and I can't pronounce it because I don't speak biblical Greek. If you want to know it, come up after, or I'll show it to you. But Matthew uses a word that not only communicates sin, an offense against God, but an indebtedness. An indebtedness. And Matthew's particularly Jewish audience and hearers and readers would understand this word as not only sin, as an offense against God, but indebted. Like you have a debt against you. So it's really important. And in fact, it's, it's not this this idea is, is prevalent in the Old Testament, 
But even some of the extra biblical writers and, and rabbis had teachings. Like there was one famous Jewish rabbi who taught God as an ultimate shopkeeper. One who's recording debits and credits of people buying in the shop. But in the sense of God, if you do something bad, he's written it down. If you do something good. Now we don't, as Christians, we don't weigh it that way. But it's helpful for us to know how the Jewish mind would have thought about this word. And when Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. And that's why we translate that word here as debts. Because it's not only communicating, church, a sin is an offense against God, but an indebtedness to God. And that's, that's really important because I, I want us to keep in mind what, what is Jesus trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount? What is he trying to do in the Lord's Prayer? We've talked about this every single week. Jesus is trying to take aim at our hearts, who we really are. He's not just taking aim at what we do wrong or good externally, but he's trying to get to the heart of who you are. And that's important here because he's kind of putting his finger on a spirit here. And we're going to get to this, but the spirit of a forgiving spirit or an unforgiving spirit. I love, though, in Isaiah 53, and we're, we're all very familiar. A lot of us are very familiar with this passage. Uh, I just want to read a portion of it because it captures what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. And not only atoning for our sin, but paying for our debt. Because when we sin, we are indebted. And it's a debt, like we said, that we cannot pay off on our own. Isaiah 53 is the passage of the suffering servant. Just a reminder, in Isaiah 53, Isaiah is prophesying about one who will come. So Jesus hasn't come yet. About one who will come and die for his people. And it says this, who has believed what he has heard from us And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So Isaiah is talking about this one to come, Jesus, who would come. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here we get to the real what Jesus has done for us. We, this is a, it's, it's, it's sad to think about, but it's also a glorious passage. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We can go on, but you get the idea. It's this beautiful passage. It's a heavy passage of what what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us, that he bore our transgressions. He bore these things for us. He took our indebtedness on himself so that we would not have to pay our debt. 
I just wanted us to, I wanted to remind us of that and the depth of that as we continue in this prayer. Thomas Watson was a Puritan, and I've quoted him many times already in the study. And by the way, if you want, it's free. You can go online, just type it in, Thomas Watson on the Lord's Prayer. And it's like 400-something pages on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's really helpful. Um, but he, has this, he, he dials in on this specifically, and he says, what, in what sense is sin the worst debt? Because we talked about debt, we think about it as usually in financial terms, <clears throat> and it can be bad in that sense, but in what sense is sin the worst debt? And he says, because we have nothing to pay for it with. We can't pay for our debt of sin. We've sinned against God, we owe God this debt, yet we have nothing to pay for it with. Why? Because we're sinners to the core. We don't have any works and good righteousness of our own. Your Bible reading, your prayer, all these things are not going to pay the debt you owe to God. You can't do it. So another reason, in what sense is sin the worst debt? Because it's not just a single debt, but it's a multiplied debt. I mean, I don't want you to think about this because it'll depress you, but think of all the sin that you've committed in your lifetime. We all have. It's multiplied. And then he also says, what is the character of a bad debtor? Someone who is indebted but is not a good debtor. A bad debtor does not like to be called to account. People who are in debt, you don't like to be called to account. I would, certainly wouldn't like it if my creditor, if my mortgage company called in my debt right now. I don't know if that's legal or not, but if they said, you need to pay it right now, that would not be good. A bad debtor is unwilling to confess his debt. He'll put it off and make less of it. That's really important. It's a characteristic of someone in debt, especially in a sin debt. They put it off, they put it off, they put it off. It's not a big deal. Unwilling to confess it. And finally, a bad debtor is apt to hate his creditor. That's really good, right? I mean, we, we complain against the people we owe money to, typically. You know, I owe that guy money. I'm trying to avoid him. I'm trying to get out of here. I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid him. I'm not going to like him very much because I owe this guy money. But even more so, when we were without Christ, when you were without Christ, and you owed the infinite holy God this debt, you were a hater of God. It, this dimension of it, I never even thought about because we owe him this thing. We can't pay it back. There's nothing we can do to pay it back. However, we have debt forgiveness. Anyone, anyone, you don't have to share if you don't want, but anyone getting your student loans forgiven? That's happening right now? Not you, Dennis? Just <laughs> shaking your head. That's happening right now? Hey, you got it. Great. Good for you, you know. But debt forgiveness, when we talk about sin, though, as the debt, it's only God that can forgive sin. No man has authority to forgive sin. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 25. Matthew, or Jesus is talking about anger. He just got done saying, 
Well, I'll just read verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So you see this image of someone who before Jesus says, before you go to leave your gift and you remember that you're indebted to your brother, you have, there's something not right between you go and be reconciled. But even more so in Matthew chapter 18, and I think Jesus really fleshes this idea out here. I'm gonna, it's a parable. It's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it really helps us understand what he's getting to in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And by the way, I, I love, I'm so thankful that Peter was the one that asked this question. Because it's a question, I think, that we, have to, that we ask. You know, it's kind of like that thing teachers say, if you have questions, make, ask them. You never know when someone else in the class is going to ask. And I'm like, I'm not asking, but I hope someone else asks my question. Peter does that for me all the time in the gospel, and he does it here. Thanks, Peter. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Lord, how often do I have to forgive this guy? Seven times? That's a good number. And that's it? Like, Peter's looking for this like really cut and dry answer. And here's what Jesus says to him. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. If you're as literal Peter, you're like, 77? How do I keep track of that? But again, what is Jesus doing? He's getting to the heart of it. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is an unbelievable amount of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. <coughs> so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he gets this servant, cry, please forgive me. And he gets forgiven of the whole debt. But look what happens next. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which in comparison to the, those thousands of talents is hardly anything. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their master all to their master all that had taken place. 
Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what do you see here? You see a servant who owes an unbelievable amount, a sum of money to his master. And the master sees him and forgives him of the debt. Says you're clear. But the servant instead, instead of taking that and letting that change his life, he goes to someone who owes him a little bit of money and chokes him out <laughs> and says, give me my money. And he, does, and he pleads for mercy, yet this servant who had just been forgiven much turns to this guy and doesn't show him any mercy and puts him in prison and says, no, you're going to pay me my debt. But then what happens at the end? The master hears about it and confronts him about it. And also he reverses what he said. So instead he puts him in jail because he did not forgive his servant. And we don't, what we want to see in this is the spirit behind what's happening here, because this is what Jesus is trying to get to in chapter six in the Lord's prayer and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's a spirit of forgiveness about those who have been forgiven. There's a petition for the forgiveness of sin, but it's also meant to posture and orient our hearts correctly to a forgiven sinner who forgives other sinners. There's really two things tonight I'm trying to bring out. One, yes, we, we receive forgiveness from God if we've trusted in Jesus for our debts, and that's a glorious thing. But there's something else I think Jesus is getting at in this prayer, and it's in the context of the whole sermon. And I think he's trying to aim at our hearts. We're reminded that forgiveness is not an option for a Christian. He's pointing to the spirit of forgiveness that we're supposed to have as Christians. Because as Christians, forgiveness is not an option for us. We must forgive because we've been forgiven much. We must forgive. And you might say, well, what if this happens? What if they do this to my child? What if they do this to my wife? Church, we must forgive. To say, I'll forgive most things... But not this one thing is to misunderstand what you've been forgiven of. If you hold out like, oh, I'll forgive, I'll for, I forgive a lot, except for if someone does this to me, this one thing to me, then you don't understand the depth of the debt that you, were owed, that you owed to God and that he's forgiven you. Because church, God did not do that to us. He says, if you trust in me, if you turn to me through Jesus, you are forgiven completely. Completely. For everything. All of your sin. Paid for. Completely. And so church, that affects our spirit. That affects how we then turn around and live in relationship with other people. So I think a lot of the point of this petition is not so much just us asking to be forgiven by God. It certainly is there. The petition is to forgive us. But there's a dimension of this petition where we're asking Jesus to help us change how we view other people, change how we view how we're offended, change how we view how we forgive other people. And that falls right in line with what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, getting to our hearts. 
It's pretty hypocritical to accept forgiveness, but then not to extend forgiveness. And I, I want us to remember, and we're going to pray at the end tonight. We're gonna give, um, I'm going to give us time to pray um, individually or in groups. I'm going to leave that up to you. And I, I really want us to, in our prayer, to realize what we have been forgiven of and the weight of that so that it will transform how we then turn around and forgive others. Maybe there's someone in your life tonight that you've, you've, hold, you've held a grudge against, that you haven't forgiven. Maybe tonight is the night where you forgive them. Allison and Davies, they're commentators on the book of Matthew. Um, I like kind of the idea of what they say here. I'm looking at verses 14 through 15, because in, in verses 14 through 15, so Jesus goes to this whole prayer, but he, and when the prayer's done, he comes back around and he teaches about this specific verse. Look with me in verse 14. So, if, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And this is a really important point for us to get, church. The purpose of this passage is not saying that forgiveness can be earned or merited. Rather, it has to do with our heart and our desire. The forgiveness of God cannot be received by those who do not forgive themselves, who do not do forgiving of themselves, who forgive other people. That's a really weird way to say that. You know what I'm saying? You, you cannot be forgiven if you are not turning around and forgiving others. It has to do with the heart. It has to do with our desire. It's not speaking of forgiveness here in a transactional sense. Okay? He's not saying, okay, Christian, okay, your forgiveness is dependent on your own ability to forgive. That, that's not exactly what he's saying here. He, instead, he's saying, if you are in Christ and you have been forgiven, you are going to live in a spirit of forgiveness, and you, just by nature of being a Christian, you are going to forgive. He's not saying, oh, you've experienced the grace of God when you trusted in Jesus. If you're not forgiving, I'm going to take it away. No, instead, he's describing a Christian. He's describing a life here. You might say, well, why do we even, I certainly have said this, why do we even ask for forgiveness? Like we, we just talked about Jesus has saved us. He's forgiven our sin and our debt completely and totally. So why in this prayer, why even ask for forgiveness? Well, I think there's, there's really two ways to look at this here, and we're going to dive into these two. But one of those ways is <clears throat> when we think about what has happened to us in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, there's a sense in which, yes, we have been forgiven completely. We have been justified. We call it justification. And it's kind of this courtroom image. One, one of my favorite uh, shows growing up when I was a teenager, me and my mom had this tradition. It came on every Thursday night at 9 o'clock on CBS, CSI. Anyone else watch that show? It first started off CSI, Las Vegas. Yep. And, it, and then they went to like Miami and then New York. And then I don't know where they went from there, but the show opened, you know, with like a song from The Who. Yeah, it's kind of dumb, but it was awesome. That's how I got introduced to The Who. But 
uh, I remember watching every, every Thursday night, me and my mom would watch CSI Miami. And every single episode that I can remember started off with the main character. So his name was Horatio Kane. And he's this redhead guy. And he'd stand over the crime scene. And then he'd say, he'd take his glasses off. And then he'd look into the distance. And then he'd say something corny. And then, and then right when he said it corny, he put his glasses back on. And then the who went, wow, and played Don't Be a Fool again. Every single episode, that's how that show started. And the, kind of the, the focus of this show and what made it so interesting is that they are going to great lengths to find it. Because the crime happens that you just walk into this crime scene. They're trying to figure out what happened. And they're you know, testing all the things. They're looking for something forensically to prove what has happened. And so the whole show has this uh, sense of they're trying to prove, investigate, to get a black and white guilty. How, do they, how are they guilty? How did they do it? So that when they get into a court of law, they can prove to the judge beyond a reasonable doubt this person is guilty. And so when we think about <coughs> our justification of God, it's very forensic. It's this courtroom image that where we, if we were to come into a courtroom and, ju- and, the go- and God is the judge... And we say, and all of our sin, our trespasses, are read out, we're guilty. We're guilty. And rightly so. It's been proven. We're guilty. But someone comes in and then pays for your trespass, pays for your sin. So... The consequence doesn't go away, but someone instead takes it on your behalf so that you don't have to, so that you are now justified before the judge. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's died for us. He's taken our place. He's borne our sin for us, and he's taken the wrath of God. He's taken the punishment that we deserved on himself, totally and completely. He didn't leave any leftover for us to take. No, he says, I'm going to take it all. And we are justified before the judge. We can then say we are not guilty, not because we didn't do the crime, but because Jesus has stepped in and paid for us. And he says, they have my righteousness. Breck has my righteousness. Jake, Beth, you have my righteousness. That's a beautiful thing. And so if that's true, and l- l- let me just read Colossians 2. It paints it much better than I can say it. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 14, it says this. <coughs> and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to shame, to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so notice what Paul's saying there, canceling the record of debt that, of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. Jesus did it by nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid for it. And that's a glorious thing to think about. But <clears throat> the question is, well, if that's happened, why then is Jesus saying, when you pray, even though you've been forgiven of this sin, even though you've been forgiven of your sins completely, I want you to ask God to forgive us our sins. So 
Why do we ask for forgiveness if our sins have been paid for? And I think it, it matters because of what's happened to us in the gospel. Because when we think about before we were in Christ, God is this judge who's perfectly right and holy. We weren't in his family. And so before him, we were guilty. But now that we've been made innocent, we've been made righteous because of Jesus, what does he do? He adopts us into his family and he makes us sons. And so now that relationship, it doesn't change that God's a good judge, but it changes the way we relate to God in the sense that God is now, like our, this uh, verse 9 says, God is now our Father, our Heavenly Father. And so we're no longer outside the family of God, about to be condemned by a righteous judge. No, no, no. Now we are in the family of God. And he is a heavenly father, a good father. And if you're a father in this room, like you and all, many of us are sons and daughters in this room. You have a father and we're to ask forgiveness. So the relationship changes because we look to God as our father and we ask him for forgiveness for our sanctification, our growth. So yes, we're forgiven completely and totally. But we still, as part of our growth in Christ and sanctification, we haven't fallen out of a state of grace. Instead, we come to God as a father, as sons to a father, and ask for forgiveness still. It's important for us that when you sin, uh, I think Bob said last week when I asked the question, what's something that you've prayed for regularly and constantly, you know, for as long as you can remember as a Christian. I think Bob said, for forgiveness of sins. And I was like, amen, absolutely. Even though we have forgiveness, even though our debt has been canceled completely, we still go to God, this heavenly father, and ask forgiveness. We ask forgiveness. First John 1, 9. And, and by the way, because he's a father, who, a loving father, he's waiting for us, he's waiting to extend his grace and his mercy to us if we come as sons to him, right? Sons and it's important sons because we get the inheritance. Even if you're a lady in the room, you are a son of God in that sense. First John 1 9 says this, if speaking to Christians, to the church, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so church, as Christians, as followers, as sons of, as made sons of God, adopted into his family, we come to God the Father, and we ask forgiveness for our sin. And that, going back, going back to that first position, our Father, it's communal. It's the kind of prayer this is, our Father, we come to our Father. I want to make sure we have time to pray, but one final point here before we do that about forgiving others. So we, we've talked about what is debt, what God has done for us, or what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, but also we, and the second part of this verse is, as we also has, have forgiven our debtors, we're to have a forgiving spirit. And Thomas Watson it's helpful again. He asks the question, when do we forgive others? What does it mean to forgive others? 
And he answers it by saying this, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well, grieve at their calamities, we pray for them, we seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. If you didn't get all that, John Piper's helpful because he distills it. into in, in that quote, he has seven things. What does it mean to forgive someone? For one, to resist revenge. Someone wrongs you. Part of forgiving them is to resist taking revenge. Right? The Bible tells us that vengeance is mine. Speaking about God, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not for you to do. Number two, so resist revenge. Number two, don't return evil for evil. So this is related. So, so don't then go and do something evil because evil has been done to you. Third, wish them well. That's a hard one after you've been offended. But that's part of forgiveness, wishing them well. Number four, grieve at their calamities. when, Even though that they are in sin and, and they have... They're doing something wrong, that they've wronged you, or they're doing evil to others. We grieve at that. But we can still forgive them. Number five, we pray for their welfare. Number six, we seek reconciliation so far as it depends on us. Right? When you're forgiving someone, you're seeking to be reconciled to that person as far as it depends on you. And you ask the question, well, what if they are not repentant? What if they don't want anything to do with it? Okay. Well, forgiveness is not dependent on them. It's you that has the spirit of forgiveness to forgive them. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of anger over sin. It doesn't mean that there's serious consequences for when someone wrongs you. It doesn't mean those things because there are consequences. If someone does something to you, if they kill someone you love, right, you can still forgive them, yet they are going to face consequences, whether it be jail time, prison time, whatever those consequences are. But still, as Christians, and this is what's so radical here, because the world says, get yours, Do everything that's right in your eyes. Don't let people mess with you. Don't be transparent. Don't be forgiving. No, but when we look at Jesus in the gospel, we see something completely different than what the world teaches. That even if someone, you know, I, I think of like, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I, I don't know what that is, but I think if someone were to kill my wife or, or my daughter. But even as a Christian, even in that, even though being angry over the sin of that and grieving over their sin and evil, I can still forgive that person. That doesn't take away what they do. That doesn't mean forgiveness is not saying, oh, what you did, it isn't that bad. No, no, it's not that. It's recognizing what they did is sin and it's wrong. But instead, you've sought to forgive them on your side, as far as it depends upon you. And they're still going to face jail time. They're still going to face whatever consequences are in place. So I, I want to make sure we understand what forgiveness isn't. It doesn't mean that you've just forgotten everything. It doesn't mean that there's no consequences for their actions. No. And even as sons of God, when we think about a father and son relationship, 
or father and child relationship, you know, as a parent, I'm going to forgive my child, but there's, I'm going to lovingly discipline them for when they've done something wrong, that there's a difference between condemnation and destruction, because when we're outside of Christ, we deserve death, hell, destruction. We deserve that. We deserve wrath. There's a difference between that, and there's a difference between that, and then also a parent offering discipline, loving discipline. But what's the difference? Is when the Father disciplines us, it's for our good and for our growth and for our sanctification. What I want us to do, and so this is next week is going to be 717 right now. Next week is going to be our last week in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at the last petition, and we're going to pray through the whole prayer. Um, but I, when we switch to verse, when we switch going through verse 11, I really wanted to be intentional about us actually spending time in prayer and practicing what we've been learning here and helping the Lord's, and looking at the Lord's Prayer and helping it form our prayers. And so I want to go into this time about 10 minutes and you can pray on your own. You can go to someone next to you. You can get in a group. I'm leaving it up to you. But I would like for you to pray and use this model of the Lord's Prayer as a model for your prayer. So you start with our Father in heaven, acknowledging our Father who is in heaven. We pray for His will, for His name to be known and holy. We pray for His will to happen. We pray for His will to be done in our hearts. That, we, that our wills would conform and be molded to His will. To pray for dependence and trust in God. And then tonight, forgiveness. You know, there, we sin every day. So you have sin to confess you, to God. You have sin to ask forgiveness of. But also, I want you to pray and is there a stone, a, a grudge that has not been overturned in your life that you're holding on to that you have not forgiven someone? I hope this time of prayer intentionally focused on this will help with that. Maybe there's not, but maybe there is. I don't know. I don't know your heart, but God does. He's going to help us. So we're going to take about 10 minutes, and I just want you to pray, okay? You can pray silently. You can pray out loud. You can move around. It's just a time intentionally given to you to pray. Okay? So let's start that out. And I'm going to, oh, sorry, I'm going to come back and I'm going to lead us in prayer at the end together. <laughs> 